0: Today we are going to look at this word mercy, and it was in the 1960s that God laid on the heart of a young pastor to leave his comfort of home in Pennsylvania to go to the streets of New York City on a mission of mercy. Uh, God burdened his heart to reach gangs for Christ. Many of you know the story. You've seen it. It's been in books form as well as movie form, uh, The Cross and the Switchblade. Some of the younger people may not uh, know that story, but I would encourage you. That the movie is actually, I think, out on YouTube. Where you can go watch the whole movie uh, of The Cross and the Switchblade. But David Wilkerson was a young pastor. God burdened his heart to reach these gangs in the streets of New York City. Now, do you know how gangs respond to the gospel? (laughs) They're not real friendly. Uh, Dave Wilkerson went up to one gang member to shake his hand and the man slapped him in the face. That's what happens sometimes with mercy. Uh, When we try to show mercy to somebody, we may be rejected, we may be cast aside. But here's the beautiful part we need to remember. There could be someone today, this morning, sitting in a bar in Huron or somewhere else have no inkling of God at all in their life or they're shooting up heroin right now or smoking a weed or getting themselves drunk silly and they could be the next evangelist that God would use. say, where are you coming from with that? Well, when Dave Wilkerson went to the streets of New York City, he brought those gangs together into a theater, those that remember the story, and one of the leaders of the gang, who told Dave Wilkerson, I hate you, if you ever try to come at me again, I will cut you into a thousand pieces. And he said, you know what, you could cut me up in a thousand pieces and throw them in the street and every piece would still love you. That gang member gave his life to Christ. He became an evangelist. He's still an evangelist today, Nikki Cruz. And so, mercy. So many times in my own life, I am quick to cast judgment on the lost rather than mercy. And that is something that God has been working in my own life on, especially having the privilege of growing up in church and being exposed to the gospel at a young age and growing up in a Christian home. And yet, we should be the greatest mercy showers, understanding the mercy that God has shown us in our own lives. We're going to look at a story in Mark chapter 5 today about a demoniac. Now, we don't come across demoniacs usually too often, right? And, but here in the gospels, there were some demon-possessed people But the point of the whole story is the fact that people need Jesus. They need mercy. They need the Lord. Just like these gangs in New York City, people need the Lord. And it's only by the mercy of God that any of us are sitting in this building today and able to open the Scriptures and even have a heart to want to understand what the Scripture says. That's the mercy of God in itself. And so I trust that if you are a believer today, that God will touch your heart to remove the spirit of judgment, judgmentalism, and that God will soften your heart for people who are broken, who are lost, who are hurting, who are confused, who may be a prostitute, who may be destitute, and somebody you wouldn't ordinarily reach out to, that you will reach out to them with mercy and the love of Christ. In Mark chapter 5, we'll just read through this account. It says, They went across the lake to the region of the Gerasenes. When Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an evil spirit came from the tombs to meet him. This man lived in the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart and he broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stones. When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him. He shouted at the top of his voice, "'What do you want with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God?' Swear to God that you won't torture me. For Jesus had said to him, Come, out of this man, you evil spirit. Then Jesus asked him, What is your name? My name is Legion, he replied, For we are many. And he begged Jesus again and again not to send them out of the area. A large herd of pigs was feeding on the nearby hillside. The demons begged Jesus, Send us among the pigs. Allow us to go into them. He gave them permission And the evil spirits came out and went into the pigs. The herd, about 2,000 in number, rushed down the steep bank into the lake and were drowned. Those tending the pigs ran off and reported this in the town and countryside, and the people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there dressed and in his right mind, and they were afraid." Those who had seen it told the people what had happened to the demon-possessed man and told about the pigs as well. Then the people began to plead with Jesus to leave their region. As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. Jesus did not let him, but said, go home to your family and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you so the man went away and began to tell in the decapolis how much jesus had done for him and all the people were amazed what a great great story the first thing i want to remind us of is why do we need mercy well if we just looked at the beginning verses of Ephesians chapter 2, it tells us that we need mercy because we are dead in transgressions and sins. We are dead in transgressions and sins. We live according to the philosophy of the world. We've been influenced by evil spirits, one called Satan. We've been guilty of attempting to satisfy the cravings of our sinful nature. And allowing that nature to hold us hostage like a prisoner. Telling us what to do and when to do it. And then it says, because of that, we became objects of God's wrath. Think about that. You and I became an object of the wrath of God. And then the story of Christmas came. The story of Christmas is about Jesus coming to earth, taking on flesh to be a living illustration of who God is. And it tells us why he did not come in Mark 10, 45. It says, Jesus did not come to be served, but to what? Serve and to give his life a ransom for many, to show mercy, a mission of mercy. Jesus' birth unleashed a movement of mercy How did the birth of Jesus change the world? Historian Rodney Stark argues that there was one huge factor that helped capture the attention of the ancient world, Christianity's revolutionary emphasis on mercy. Stark writes, In the midst of the squalor, misery, illness, and anonymity of ancient cities, Christianity proved an island of mercy and security. It started with Jesus. In contrast, In the pagan world, and especially among the philosophers, mercy was regarded as a character defect and pity as a pathological emotion, because mercy includes providing unearned help or relief. It is contrary to justice. And so humans were encouraged to curb the impulse of even showing mercy. The cry of the undeserving for mercy, they said, must go unanswered. Showing mercy was a defect of character, unworthy of the wise and excusable only in those who have not yet grown up. This was the moral climate in which Christianity taught that a merciful God requires humans to be merciful. That's what God calls us to do. And right after Jesus said he came not to be served but to serve The very next story in Mark 10 is the healing of blind Bartimaeus. That God comes and he heals blind Bartimaeus, who is sitting by the roadside begging. And it says in chapter 10, 47, when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And many rebuked him and told him to be quiet, but he shouted all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped, because that's what mercy does. He stopped, and he said, call him. So they called to the blind man, cheer up, on your feet, he's calling you. Throwing his cloak aside, he jumped to his feet, and he came to Jesus. And then here's what Jesus asks him. This seems unbelievable. What do you want me to do for you? Now the man's blind, (laughs) What do you want me to do for you? Jesus asked him. Because some people don't want to be healed. It sounds strange, but it's true. Jesus said, what do you want me to do for you? The blind man said, Rabbi, I want to see. Go, said Jesus, your faith has healed you. And immediately he received his sight. That's mercy in action, but it also shows us the power of God. What is God trying to communicate to us about Bartimaeus? That there is spiritual blindness in our world, and it's the mercy of God that brings spiritual sight. He is the one who brings spiritual sight to the spiritually blind people. That was us. Do you remember when you were blind to sin? You remember when you didn't see your sin? You didn't understand your sin? You didn't understand that you offended a holy, righteous God? And God, in his mercy, showed you your sin, showed me my sin, and said, you need my righteousness. I was so blessed to grow up in a Christian home, and some of you were too. To grow up in a Christian home is the mercy of God it's the mercy of God you could be the alcoholic you could be the drug addict you could be the one who was born to a mother who was addicted to crack cocaine but for the mercy of God and so how are you going to reach out to that person who was not born in a Christian home who did not hear the gospel whose father is locked up in prison how are you gonna reach them with the gospel Do you have a heart of mercy to do so? In Mark chapter 1, the very opening chapter, Jesus is teaching in the synagogue, and there's a demon-possessed man with an evil spirit who comes into the synagogue. And he says, what do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Are you come to destroy us? He says, I know who you are. The evil spirit said, you're the Holy One of God. Jesus told the evil spirit to shut up. That's the simple version. He said, be quiet and come out of him. The evil spirit shook the man violently and came out of him with a shriek. So here's what we see in the story of Christmas. Jesus' birth unleashed a movement of mercy. Jesus' mercy moves toward misery. He moves toward this man because in the opening verse of chapter 5, it says he went across the lake to the region of the Gerasenes, and Jesus got out of the boat, and a man with an evil spirit came to him from the tombs to meet him. This is mercy in action. It's the mercy of God. In Micah 7.18, it says, Who is a God like you who pardons sin and forgives the transgression of the remnant of his inheritance? You do not stay angry forever, but delight to show your mercy. And we see this in Jesus becoming flesh, becoming mercy in the flesh to show us a picture of God and who he is. And in Matthew 9, 35 and 36, it says, Jesus went through the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, healing every disease and sickness. And when he saw the crowds, he had compassion. He had mercy on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. I remember when I first met Pastor Andy Zvanovich, the pastor in inner city Chicago. Many of you have met him. He's been here. We support their church. And I met him and we were talking about ministry and he was talking about his church in inner city Chicago. And I said, Andy, let me ask you. I said, how close is your church to the ghetto? He laughed. He said, dude, we're in it. (laughs) You can hear Andy saying that. Dude, we're in it. In other words, how are we going to show mercy and love to these people if we're outside and we just come in every once in a while? He says, we're in it. Jesus went to the man with the evil spirit. That's mercy moving toward misery. Let's look at four features of this demoniac. Four features of this demoniac. First of all, he has an unclean spirit. An evil spirit is unclean. It's evil. It's wicked. It's filthy. Physically and morally You know, with the increase in Satanism, and witchcraft, we see increases in destructive behavior. Addictions, drugs, alcohol, pornography, sexual perversion, obscene language and behavior comes from an evil spirit. And then the second thing we see here is an unclean residence. He lived among the tombs. The dead were considered unclean. He lived in isolation. Nobody else was living among the tombs, just the dead people. And they weren't alive. He was cut off from society and community. He was ostracized from his family and friends. He had no support. His violent behavior caused people to keep a distance from him. Not only was he not invited to their homes, but they probably had special homemade weapons to keep him out and to protect themselves because they were afraid of him. He had broken chains and he had incredible strength. And that's the next thing we see here is he had superhuman strength. No one could subdue him. He broke the chains that were on his arms and legs. And then fourthly, he had self-destructive behavior. The demons caused him to punish himself. He cut himself with stones. He screamed because of his emotional pain, and he got attention for it. He was full of anger and self-hatred. He had a warped view of life and of himself, and his misery drove him to insanity. He was not in his right mind. Now, how quickly will you and I go to that kind of person? How drawn will we be? How much mercy will we show that person? Maybe you have a neighbor that's not anywhere near like this. And you say, you know what? What's your mercy for that individual, that person? I can tell you mine. Sometimes I have fear. Fear about sharing the gospel with someone, if I'm honest. But we need to overcome that fear and allow the mercy of God to help us share with them the good news of the gospel you and I need to be the hands and feet of Jesus moving toward people who are hopeless and harassed. Maybe you know someone today who is possessed by a spirit of anger. Someone who has, maybe even someone who has sinned against you. And you harbor feelings of hatred toward that person. And you're holding on to a spirit of unforgiveness and you refuse to forgive that person and you have no mercy to give them. Will you remember the mercy God extended to you? Or maybe you're being controlled by a spirit of bitterness. A person who is controlled by bitterness cannot show mercy. They don't understand it. Because they've lost how much they need mercy. Mercy. The second thing we see about Jesus and his mercy is he models courage in the face of opposition. He's willing to dialogue with this man to show his love and concern. He does not carry out his ministry from a distance. He does it up close and personal. How many times do we see people and the only time we show a smile and a handshake is in Sunday morning church? But for me to have coffee with that individual, for me to take them out to lunch, for me to show some kind of extra interest in them, their life, well, wait a minute, now you're meddling with my time, my energy. Mercy models that courage. Some of you need to get out of your comfort zone and move beyond just a handshake on Sunday morning and invest in the person's life. That's what God calls us to do, to get involved in people's lives, to show them we truly care and have a heart of mercy for their situation. This is what God is doing to me. What else do we see here? Jesus, we see this, the demons are humbled by the presence of Jesus. They are concerned that Jesus is going to cast them out of the region. They're like, please don't send us out of the region. And they're humbled by the presence of Jesus. They call him the Son of God, the Most High. They recognize he is the deity. He is the authority. He has greater authority than they do. The demons knew that Jesus was more powerful than they were. Do we remember that? The gospel and Christ is more powerful than the enemy? Greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. Thirdly, the demons are afraid of their future. I mean, they're scared to death. They're like, you know, please don't send us out of the area, they say in the end of verse 10. And then in verse 12, the demons beg Jesus, send us among the pigs, allow us to go into them. And he gave them permission. He had to give them permission to do that told them to come out, and told them where they could go. In James 2.19, it says, You believe there is one God, good, even the demons believe that and shudder. (laughs) And what did Jesus finally do with the demons? He destroyed them. The pigs ran over the cliff and into the water and were drowned, destroyed. And we don't know how many demons there were. It says legion, there were many there could have been four to six thousand. I mean, according to a Roman legion. But all we know is there were many. Jesus said in Matthew twenty-eight eighteen, "All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me." And what did this man do when he came into the presence of Jesus? Look back again in verse 6. When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him. Does that remind you of Philippians 2? It says, therefore, in Philippians 2, 9, God exalted him, Jesus, to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow. Here's a demon-possessed man who is bowing in the presence of Jesus. Jesus. The words of Jesus also will not be revoked or canceled by anyone. Jesus tells the demons to leave and they leave. In Isaiah 45:23 it says, "By myself I have sworn, my mouth has uttered all integrity, a word that will not be revoked. Before me every knee will bow, by me every tongue will swear." Well, then we see the third thing that mercy did. Jesus, and his mercy, miraculously heals the demoniac. We see the power of Jesus. He tells the demons to come out of this man, and they come out. And then we see in verse 15, When they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there dressed and in his right mind, which would imply he had been naked. And he was dressed. And you can imagine he's probably got blood on his arms from cutting himself and scars. And he's dressed and in his right mind. And the community is blown away. I mean, they cannot believe the transformation in this man's life that now he is calm, he is subdued, he's at peace He's got a sense of joy in his life. What does it go on to tell us? Then all the people in verse 17 began to plead with Jesus to leave the region. you are like, why would they want him to go? Well, they saw the destruction of the pigs. The farmers probably weren't real happy about it. But you know, it doesn't even tell us about the economic loss in comparison to this man's soul. And look what it says in 18, as Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. Jesus did not let him, but said, what? Go home to your family and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. The man went away and began to tell in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And all the people were amazed. At the opening of this story, the man's family, he's ostracized. Do you see what the gospel and mercy does? It reconciles relationships. Broken relationships get restored and reconciled. God is able to do that through the power of Christ. This man wanted to go with Jesus and begin to witness, and Jesus said, no, go home and tell your family why. This man was in an unclean neighborhood, Gentiles. Gentiles were considered unclean. He had an unclean spirit. He lived in an unclean residence. He was among the dead. Do you see how Jesus went to the unclean to make them clean? That's what mercy does. It goes to the unclean and it makes them clean. And Jesus is not afraid of uncleanness, are we? Say, well, you know, I don't associate with those kind of people. I'm glad I'm not one of those people. You know what? You were one of those people without mercy, without God in the world at one time. We need to share our testimony with our family. Maybe you have a family member that you've got a great distance between you. I hope they're on your prayer list. And you are praying for their salvation. You're praying that the mercy of God would break in on their lives and begin to show them who they are. Let me share this with you. This is based on a true story. Believer Joe lived in a neighborhood for many years. He was always friendly to his neighbor, heathen Jim. In fact, Joe saw it as an opportunity to live out Christ and show Jim love whenever he could. But Joe never felt it necessary to vocalize his faith and share the gospel with Jim. After all, that could really turn Jim off to the gospel and it could hurt their friendship. So Joe continued to be a good person, always smiling and loving and being kind to Jim. Joe thought himself a good Christian for living in such a way and being so consistent around Jim. One day, heathen Jim received Christ as his Lord and Savior. New believer Jim then proceeded to knock on old believer Joe's door. Joe was excited to see Jim and let him in, being the good Christian he was, But something peculiar happened. As Jim and Joe sat on the back porch drinking tea, Jim began to witness to Joe. He began to share the gospel with him and how God had saved him. He wanted to know if Joe also wanted to receive Christ. Joe laughed. He was thrilled that he was now a believer and proceeded to explain to Jim, I've been a Christian for many years. I've already accepted Christ. This was confusing to Jim as a new believer, he responded to Joe saying, oh, well, I just thought you were a prime example of a really good person who did not know Jesus. You know, a good person without the gospel, why did you never tell me about him? As you can see, a wordless witness can be a stumbling block to an unbelieving world. The love of Christ and as a recipient of his mercy should compel us to share the gospel with the lost. Let me give you a couple practical things in doing this. How do I go about sharing my testimony? First of all, and let me just give you three things. Number one is life before knowing Christ. Share with people what was missing in your life. What was your life like before you put your faith in Christ? Share how you lived your life in your wisdom and your strength and how you failed to honor God with your life. Share about your brokenness apart from Christ. That you violated God's law and broke his commandments. Share about the guilt and shame you experienced, your hopelessness, your lack of joy and peace, your fears Your hurts, your habits, your hang ups. And then share what you believed about God when you came to believe. Secondly, what you came to know about Christ. And here, be specific what you came to know about Christ. How did God change you to give you the faith to trust Him? Share the specifics of the gospel that we're sinners, that Christ died for sin, he rose from the dead, and he gives us his spirit to live inside of us and help us. And then share who God is and how he has changed you. Share what you have learned about God and how he has changed your life. Give specific examples of how God has changed your life. How is the truth about who God is and what he does how is it helping you deal with the struggles in your life today? And be willing to share the struggles in your life today. Don't act like everything's perfect because it's not. <laughs> We're not perfect. We're broken. Share about your struggles and your brokenness now. It's okay. Share about the freedom you enjoy and how Christ has removed your guilt and your shame. And lastly, look for ways to identify with the person. Look for ways to identify with them. Paul, in 1 Corinthians nine, nineteen through 23 says, I became all things to all men by all possible means that I might win some. To the Jews, he became like a Jew. To those under the law, he became like those under the law. He became all things to all men that he might win some. One of the greatest opportunities I believe I had when I was working a secular job was when one of my coworkers was killed in a car accident. And she worked in my department I don't know if she was a believer. She was a single mom. She had four kids. And the whole, the whole department was grieving over her loss. And I remember one of the managers came up to me and said, would you lead us in a prayer? Would you lead us in a prayer? And I was like, I was, I was humbled, first of all. And then I just, God, give me the words to say because this is an opportunity to shine for you to shine for the gospel and I remember dozens of people gathering around the cubicle so we could pray and talk to the Lord what an opportunity God has many opportunities for us I'm sure even this week and this Christmas season and we have to be alert to those we have to say God Help me be alert to those opportunities and give me the courage even in the midst of opposition to speak for you and give me a heart of mercy to the alcoholic, to the drug addict, to the prostitute, to the neighbor that is good but lost. Let's bow together for a word of prayer. Your head's bowed and your eyes closed. Let me ask you. How's your mercy quotient? I will confess I have oceans to grow in this area. God has been hard at work in my life to help me grow in this area. And I trust that he will speak to you as well. Maybe there's something in your life that you are holding on to, a hurt, an unforgiving spirit, a spirit of bitterness that you have not shown mercy back to the person who hurt you. And as long as you do that, you will not have the joy of the Lord and you will not have victory in your life. And it takes the mercy of God Would you be reminded of the mercy of God in your own life? You're even in church today under the influence of God's word because of his mercy in your life. If you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, Jesus on a mercy mission came to the cross and died a cruel death on the cross to pay for our sin. We don't have to pay for our sin. Mercy paid for our sin so that we could be forgiven and be given a home in heaven. I hope you have people on your prayer list that you know are impossible For them to be saved apart from the mercy of God. And maybe people that you wouldn't even ordinarily rub shoulders with. That God is convicting you to put them on your list. And to pray for them. And to even schedule an appointment for the purpose of trying to get to the gospel. Not pushing it on them. And maybe the first time you won't do that. Maybe the first two or three times you won't do that. You're just building a bridge so that you can, down the road, share the gospel with that person. If you don't know Jesus and you want to know Him, you want to pray to receive Christ, you can do that in your seat. We can do that with you. You can see myself afterwards. We'll be glad to pray with you. You can have a personal relationship with Christ. God, help us to be mercy showers to a lost world to be the hands and feet of Jesus to our family and tell the lord tell our family what the lord has done for us tell our neighbors tell those that god brings across our path what god has done for us let's pray we hope you've enjoyed today's message